today, this very last day, this or excuse me, this very last Sunday in this year. There's been so much that's happened, um, unfortunately, so much negativity, but the good news, the gospel will never change. God's word will never change, and he is going to do what he promised he would do. Just look through the word. I'm not even going to go through, you know, begin. But one thing I will say, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we thank you again for joining us here in the building. Uh, Those who couldn't be with us for various reasons, some people are out of town. But nevertheless, God is with us. God is with you. We want to make sure that um, we continue to keep the word of God flowing uh, in the community as well as uh, here in the building. And, you know, nothing is possible. Absolutely nothing is possible in the ministry. And I won't say nothing, but it takes finances to do what we do. And I tell you, whatever we get, whatever we receive, we use it to put right back into the kingdom. We use it to help to build people's lives. Not that we can have this grand building, which there is nothing wrong with that. But here at Open Altar, we believe in giving back to the community. So we ask, you know, go to the Google Play Store. Uh, You can give, excuse me, you can give in person. You can use the mobile app. You can go to the website, um, OAWCVA.com. Or you can text to give 7797. That's still the old one, isn't it? Yeah, that's the old one. But nevertheless, we want you to give because this is fertile ground. That I tell you, this is fertile ground. And we don't want to play around, not with your money, which is really God's money, but we want to put it to good use because people are hurting. No matter what they say about the pandemic, there's still ripple effects. We know that first it was it was COVID, then the Delta virus, then Omicron. We don't know when the end is going to be, but while we are yet in this storm, we're not giving up. So please give as the Lord leads. So having said that, we're going to move forward. um, And this, of course, being again, I say um, the end of this sermon series, we've been talking about self-evaluation, self-evaluation. It is so easy to, as Pastor Wendy uh My dear bride um, has put it for these last couple of weeks. I do thank God for her. Um, We just had a marvelous Christmas um, with between us and family. It's just been great. And we pray that you had a good Christmas as well. Uh, But she's done a great job at talking about self-evaluation. Now, it's one thing for us to tear away the old. Like you'll you'll see contractors go in and they'll gut a building and they tear out the walls. But then after they tear out the walls, they don't put up a sale sign in front of the building. They know they have to restore it. They know they have to put certain things back in it to make it um, a place that you would want to live. So as as we have been evaluating ourselves, we want to make sure that once we are clean and and working on ourselves, that we allow God to put back into us the things he desires and not the things we desire of ourselves. We're blessed to live in a time that we do, and there's so many things 
that can so easily distract us. You know, I love studying the word of God, but one thing I know that when I open up my laptop or even use my phone and I'm like, I'm going to go look for this scripture. It's like, where's the scripture? And as soon as I open up my laptop, my laptop, guess what? There's the latest news. Oh, man, I got to read the news. But it's a distraction. And I have to tell myself, focus, focus, focus. But there are so many things that were under the law. When we talk about the Old Testament, there are so many things that were under the law that we could never fulfill. And the, law, the message for the day is we're going to be talking about the law versus grace. The law versus grace. Now, when we think of the law, oftentimes we think of, well, there were only ten laws because there were ten commandments. When in all actuality, there were 613 laws under the Old Testament. 613. Now, we had hard enough times trying to hold up with the, with the ten. But now we find out really when we study, there's 613. And the Bible teaches us if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. But guess who came to pay the price so that we don't have to take that test? We don't have to pass all those tests. God has done it for us. Now, the law was very restrictive. It often told us, thou shall not. You can't do this or go over here and and plant this and give that. It was so restrictive. But it failed in so many ways to have give us that relationship with God that we all so often need. Or should I say we always need. But under the law, what happens in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8, and I'm going to be going there, and I'm using a New King James Version. The downfall or the demise of Israel um, and I'm going to be actually starting at verse two. I don't think I have that up there. Um, Samuel was getting old in age. And so he decided he made the decision to turn the kingdom or Israel over to his sons. One, he had two sons. One's name was Joel. The other one was Abijah. But they did not walk with the Lord. And in fact, they took bribes. They used dishonest games and they perverted justice. And the people said, no, 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 no. We don't want judges anymore. We want a king. We want a king. Never mind, turn us, Samuel, back to the ways of God. They said, we want a king. Now, I believe probably most of us, if not all of us, have been in relationships, and then those relationships broke up. You dated someone, and then you broke up. And it happens, unfortunately. We fall in love, we fall out of love. But how would you like it if someone that you say you love walks up to you and says, I want to replace you? Not, you know, this, this isn't working out. Um, I'm just, I just don't see where we're really getting along and our schedule, your schedule, or, you know, we have different interests and all that. But no, says, I want to replace you. That's a hard blow. And that's what the children of Israel basically did to God. They wanted to replace him with a natural king. Israel didn't realize what they were asking for when they did this. They didn't understand the true ramifications. 
And then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, I believe that's what we had up there. Samuel tells, is having a prayer, is praying to God, and God turns around and tells him, he says, take heed to the voice of the people in all that they say, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. So God's saying, don't take it personal. And on a side note, when we go, you're out in the street, you're in the marketplace or on your job and you witness to people and they say, no, nah, I don't want to hear that Jesus stuff. Listen to what the voice of the Lord says. They're not rejecting you. It's me that they are rejecting, that I should not reign over them. God's saying, I want to I want to be in their lives. I want to be a positive influence in their lives. And they say, no, 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 no. I haven't seen what church does and this and that. And whatever reason they give, it's not you they're rejecting. They're rejecting God. So then what happens is Saul goes before the people, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, and Saul tries, or excuse me, Samuel tries to warn the people saying, look, if you get a king, this is what the king is going to do. He tells them your sons are going to be appointed to own their own chariots. He's going to take captains and make them uh, captains over thousands, fifties, and have them to plow the grounds for the harvest. He's going to have you making weapons of war. He's going to take your daughters and make them perfumers and cooks and bakers. Um, he's going to take the best of your fields. He's going to give and turn around and give them to your servants. Uh, he just goes on and on and on. But then again in chapter nine, excuse me, I'm on in chapter nine. Then he says, I'm going to take your male servants and your female servants and your finest and workers and put them to work. But guess what the people say? We still want a king. We still want a king. And then in verse 18 of chapter 9, the Lord is talking and he says, and you will cry out. This is what Samuel is saying, what the Lord that gave him says, and you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the king's will not hear you in that day. You chose a king. But when you call out to me, God's saying, I'm not going to hear you. Eh. Talk to the hand. Nevertheless, in verse 19, he says, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, no, but we will have a king over us. And Samuel, the Bible tells us, repeated this to the people. Everything he told them. Everything he told them. But we have to understand you don't have to be, and, uh, and again, Pastor Wendy did an excellent job of breaking this down. But you don't have to be in a situation or come out of a situation to turn around and look and say, hmm, I need to evaluate that. If you're driving down the road and you say, you know something, I'm hungry and I don't want to wait till I get home. I'm going to stop off and get me a hamburger. But when you see the line wrapped around the building, guess what? You evaluate that you don't want to wait in that line. So it doesn't take being in a situation to have to evaluate it. You can look at what's going to happen. And Samuel told them what was going to happen. But guess what? The people and the elders failed to evaluate, self-evaluate, and find out what God was going to do or not do for his children. So there was a man who is said to have been head height or shoulder height, I can't remember the word, but he was taller than everyone else. Very good looking. 
he might have been me, right? <laughs> In my dreams, yes. But his name was Saul. Not Saul from the New Testament in the book of Acts, but this man's name was Saul. And he was appointed to be the king over Israel. And then verse chapter 13, verse 8, he becomes king, but then, you know, he's the first king. He's the first king. So aren't you allowed a little leeway? You know, I'm the first one that's done this. Give me a, a, a little leeway with this. But Saul's first act of disobedience in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. Let me slow down. It says, and then he waited. He goes to give a sacrifice. It says, but then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come from Gilgad, and the people were scattered from him. Verse 9, and Saul said, bring an offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. He felt like just because he was the king, he could do whatever he wanted to do. The offering was only supposed to be done by the priest. And then going down to verse 13, he goes back to Samuel and says, oh, look what great things I've done. And Samuel said, no, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which commanded you. For now the Lord will have to establish your kingdom. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But, verse 14, now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And who would that man be? David. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept the commands that the Lord gave you. He was told not to do these things. It didn't just pop up on him. He was told not to do them. And God said, I'm cutting you off. Your kingdom has ended as of now. That was his first act of uh, disobedience. His second act was in chapter 15. Chapter 15, beginning at verse 3. Now go and attack um, Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Notice he said, utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Kill both man and women and infant and nursing child ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So God's saying, kill everything. If it live, lives, breathes, and moves, kill it. Now, we can get into a whole lot about that, but that's how things worked in the Old Testament. Verse 8. So he took King Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. But what did God just say? And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatting, fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling, he was unwilling to destroy. But everything despised and worthless, he utterly destroyed. So Saul made up in his own mind what he wanted to do. He wanted to spare the king 
and take the best of the best but kill everything else. But that's not what God told him to do. Again, Saul failed to evaluate, one, what God told him to do, and two, what the repercussions might be. Y'all still with me? All right. Because evaluating has to be an ongoing process. Pastor Wendy talked about the time when you get to the end of a of a uh, grading period, you are evaluated. When you first get hired on a job, oftentimes they'll say you have a 90-day or, or a six-month or maybe even a year evaluation period. But with God, we are to be evaluating ourselves all the time, and this is what Saul failed to do. But these are the consequences for Saul's actions. In 1 Samuel 16 and 13, The Bible tells us, then Samuel took the horn of an anointed oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And we're talking about David. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David. The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and the distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, I want you to look at this real close. Notice where it says the spirit of the Lord is in capital letters, capital S. But then it says a distressing spirit is in small, small s. Now, understand how the grace of God works and the mercy and the personality and the character of God. Even though the scripture says, and this is just an interpretation, a translation, should I say, God did not send a distressing spirit on him. Because James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So God did not send a distressing spirit on him. God permitted. We're familiar with the story of Job. How Satan wanted to destroy Job and God said, I will permit. I will allow this to happen. Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, it tells us where he said that uh, lest I be exalted, he said, A messenger from Satan was come to trouble me. God permitted that messenger from Satan. And people like, well, I wonder what happened to Saul. I mean, to Paul. Was he blind? Could he not see? Because he was in the prison. He had to squint. Or somebody said he had uh, some other type of disease. No. The thorn in his flesh was the messenger from Satan. That was the thorn in his flesh. It's right there in the scriptures. But this is what ended up happening to him. A distressing spirit was allowed to come. God permitted. He said, I'm taking my hand off of you. So whatever happens to you, remember he said, whatever happens in that day, he says, you will call out to me and I will not hear you. God keeps his word. When he says a thing that is going to happen, it will happen. But again, Saul failed to evaluate himself. But then it goes on. In the latter part, chapter 18, beginning at verse 2, and I'm skipping through because I don't need I don't need to cover everything. I want you to please go back and study and read for yourselves. And it says, Saul took him that day, talking about David, and would not let him go from his father to his father's house anymore because David still liked to go home and visit. Verse 5. So David went out whenever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Saul set him over men of war 
and he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Then go down to um, verse 6. Yeah, excuse me, to verse 6. Now it happened when they were coming home, they had just come out of battle, that David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women had come out from all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet Saul, King Saul, with tambourines, with joy and musical instruments. David's come out of war. But this is Saul's reaction, verse 9. Then Saul was very angry and saying, the saying displeased him. And he said, they have aspired David 10,000. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but my kingdom? And then verse 9. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Saul, you messed it up. All right, little exercise here. Say, I am Saul. We have all messed it up. But we have blamed other people because we failed to examine and evaluate ourselves. We failed to look in the mirror and say, you know something? Really, I caused that. But Saul kept his eye on David. And the Bible tells us that David was a man, of course, as, as we already read, was a man after God's own heart. Twice, David could have killed Saul, but he spared his life because David evaluated himself. Even when we look at between David and Bathsheba, David was sorrowful. If you read Psalms, the 51st Psalms, where he repented before God, but Saul wouldn't do that. He's like, after all, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want to do. David does no wrong in the sight of Jonathan, whom he loved, the sight of the people. But it was Saul who failed to evaluate himself. And his anger, Saul's anger, consumed him. We can look at anybody and everybody, but until we look at ourselves. You know the old saying, anytime you point your finger, there's, there's three fingers pointing back. In the military, they told us to point like this. <laughs> so you put the blame strictly on whoever you're pointing at. When you say, hey, soldier, come here. What did I tell you to do? But we have to evaluate ourselves. But that's under the law. They said what they wanted, and God said, if that's what you want, fine, but don't come crawling to me later. Don't come crying to me later when things fall through. I already told you what they're going to do to you. Ah, it's not going to happen. We want a king. But that was under the law. But now under grace. People often will tell other people, and I know I've done it before too. I've done it so many times, but I stopped doing it. You ever see somebody uh, smoking, you like, man, you need to give up them cigarettes. They're going to kill you. Or you see somebody um, cussing a whole lot. It's like, man, you need to stop cussing, man. That's bad. You know, you, you just, you're just making a fool out of yourself. But, you know, when we do those kind of things, unless Christ is within that person, we are wasting our times. It may make us feel better. It's like, man, I got so-and-so to quit smoking. Oh, really? Are they saved? 
No. Well, you got them to quit smoking. You got them to quit drinking. You got them to quit cussing. All of these things, and they, and they, they even do charity work now. But guess what? When Christ comes to crack the sky, they're going straight to hell. They just going to hell without no cigarettes in their hand. Because we are appealing to the flesh and not to the spirit. And that's much like how the law was. You're appealing to something that cannot change. And it wasn't designed to change. Even as believers, we oftentimes stop doing one thing but then we're looking to do something else. Because there's a void in us that says, well, I'm used to doing this all the time. I used to always come home and, and turn on TV to look at the news. I used to always come home and, man, I had to wash my car. Man, I used to always come home and check the sports. But then when we realize, you know something, I need to, I need to quit indulging in all of these things. Yeah, 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 you know, I realize I'm just wasting my so much time of my day doing these things that really don't amount to anything. So, so what am I going to do instead of that? What are we going to do to fill those voids? We're just like little children. Little children oftentimes get in trouble when, when their parents or an adult tells them, stop that, stop that. But instead of just telling them stop that, it's like, here, look, you need to quit doing that. I'm going to give you this, this coloring book and this crayon. I want you to go color. Go draw me a picture. Give them something to do to fill the void of what they stopped doing. And as Christians, we will stop one thing, and then we fail to fill that void with something godly. We fail to fill ourselves. For the Bible says, be, trans be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because we are creatures of habit. And we want to do stuff. We want to do stuff. We have the ability and we are commanded to cease from harsh and deadly things simply by following the word. Now, I understand there are situations that people will be in where the doctor tells them, look, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to destroy your liver. Yes, you tell that person. Man, you need to quit drinking. You're killing yourself. They may not be saved, but it's a life and death situation. Or you know a person who's cheating on their spouse, and you know that that's not good. Yeah, tell them, hey, look, man, that ain't cool. But when you're strictly trying to talk to somebody to make ourselves feel better, it's really a waste of your time. Unless you're going to say, well, man, why should I quit smoking? And they may not even ask you. But if you're going to tell them to quit smoking or you're going to tell them to quit drinking or quit speeding or whatever it is that you think they need to stop doing. And I don't mean to sound uh, comical about that. But whatever it is you see that they're doing, it better be followed up by the word. It needs to be followed up with the word. Said, Don't you realize God created you in his image and he wants you healthy and whole? And, man, you're just tearing up your body. And, and, and even tell them, like, man, I used to do that. And, man, God just cleaned me up. Bring God in it. Just don't tell people, stop smoking, stop smoking, stop smoking. Romans chapter 8, verse 13, and this is where grace comes in. Because within ourselves, 
we can't sustain ourselves. We can't change ourselves. But God is mighty and he's faithful. And we want, well, how can I say? You ever heard somebody say something along the lines of, uh, well, you, your parents might tell you, well, you better get that straight. Don't let me come after you myself. Because if I have to come after you, it ain't going to be pretty. But Romans 8, uh, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We're talking about a spiritual death. If we live according to flesh, we will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. Now, notice it does not say if we flip flop. Notice it doesn't say if we pray and ask God, Lord, take this from me. It's saying, no, if you put the death, the deeds of your body, and this is under grace, we have the Holy Spirit within us. He's telling us, don't ask God, Lord, take this away from me. Lord, help me to stop this. Lord, I lie too much. The Lord's saying, well, stop lying. I gave you my Holy Spirit. You can, and, and don't get me wrong, say, Lord, help me with my tongue that I would not lie. And again, get into the word, get into the word. Get into the word to help fill that void. And you know something? It never hurts to read newspaper articles and understand that there's more vocabulary than four-letter words. I don't have to use that four-letter word. There's another word I can use instead of it. Y'all understand? There's nothing wrong with reading uh, newspaper articles and magazines and other books. It doesn't, you don't have to read the Bible for everything. Because guess what? When I want to know what the, te what the temperature and the weather is going to be like, I don't look at the Bible. I look at the news. So expand your understanding. Hebrews chapter 7, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 7 and verse 11, it says, if you endure, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons or daughters. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't ch chasten you. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? In verse 11, it says, now no chastening, no whooping, no spanking at that time seems to be joyful to for the present, but it's painful. God's saying, I gave you the power. In, back in Romans, he says, you put to death a deed. But God's saying, but if I have to come after you, it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. He said, but nevertheless, afterwards, it's going to yield the fruit a peaceable fruit of righteousness to whom there you have been trained. So God's saying, get it right. Don't keep asking me. And, and, and we see these, and I'm, and I'm just on this thing about little kids today. Hey, help me put my shoes on. It's like, you know how to put your shoes on. Help me to get dressed. You know how to get dressed. And God's saying, I've given you my spirit. To deal with these things because you have to evaluate yourself. And then James chapter 2 verse 15. It says if a brother or sister is naked and destitute. Of daily food. And you say to them. Depart in peace and be warmed and filled. But do not give them the things that, that are needed of the body. What profit is it? 
We can give things away, but does it really profit anyone? Because it's not building us up. But then verse 17 says, thus also, by faith itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. Now, I'm, I'm going to perhaps offend somebody, but it's not me. It's the word. And I don't use that term lightly. How ironic, and that's not even a good word for this, but it talks about if you see a brother or sister naked and destitute of food, what do we do so often? We do twice a month here at Open Altar. We feed the community. We feed the community. But it's saying faith without works is dead. Does it take faith for us to really hand out food to the community? No, that's our reasonable service. Verse 18, it says, 17 says, faith without works is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. Show me what you are doing with your faith. What do you believe in God for? It's like I've been, I've been seeing you walk around with this, and I'm not, trust me, I have aches and pains in my body too. I've been seeing you walking around. You've been kind of limping a little bit lately. Yeah, I hurt my foot, but you know something? Praise God, I'm believing God for my healing. That's putting your faith to work. But you're saying, oh, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. That's like, you know something? I also have $5 million in the Swiss bank account. Well, show me where it says, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You can tell me you have a million dollars. All right, well, show me on your phone where your account that you have $5 million. Oh, I got it. I got it. I ain't got to prove nothing to you. But I'm going to show you that I have $5 million. How much does your house cost? I'm going to pay your house off right now. That's showing you the works by my faith. A few weeks later, I see it's like, you ain't limping no more. I told you, man, I believe God for my healing. You, you want a promotion on your job? What I'm trying to say is, and it's not all about materialistic things. What I'm trying to say is when we evaluate ourselves, God is saying it takes more than what we do within these four walls. It takes more than what we do on a Sunday morning. It takes an individual effort day by day by day. And it's like, I thought I was doing something, handing out food. You are doing a tremendous work and God sees you. But God's saying, I need you to exercise the faith, the measure of faith that I've given you and put it to work. Put it to work. What do you desire of me? What do you desire? Do you desire healing? You desire God's like, Lord, I want to just uh, I want, for right now, I just want a closer relationship. All right, well, open up your Bible. Open up your Bible and ask me to reveal my word to you. That takes faith. Help me to understand your word, not just to read it, because I can read it and memorize it, but I may not even understand it. Say, well, Lord, according to Ephesians 1 and 17, it says you will give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's putting your faith to work. That's putting your faith to work. You, are, you open altar, and those of you who support this ministry, you're doing a great work. 
But God is saying, put your individual faith to work. Collectively, as a church, we're putting our faith to work. We saw what the people in Israel did. Collectively, they said they wanted a king. But guess what? You can't agree, always agree with what the crowd is doing. You can't always agree with what the crowd is doing. But we here are moving forward. So I have two points. My first point is, ask yourself, what have I done? Now, real quick, how many of you thinking negatively? The mistakes you've made. Anybody? Okay. Well, that's good. But sometimes we look and it's like, man, I done did this and I done did that. Man, I done did this. But the Bible says that we are washed under the blood. And it says, if anybody says that they have not sinned, says you're a liar. But God is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But don't look at our past as saying all the wrong we've done. But look at our past and say, you know, some I made some mistakes and I'm not going to make those mistakes again. So what have I done? What have I done in the past? And maybe the things I've done in the past, maybe I can do them better the next time. My second point is this. What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing to improve my quality of life? I'm evaluating myself and saying, what do I need to do? I just had my physical back last month, and my doctor gave me some things I need to do. And guess what? I'm only two specific things she told me to do. I'm only doing one of them, and I'm not really doing that one that well. But what am I doing? And the thing about when we say what I'm doing is we make the mistake of thinking, oh, I'm doing that the best I can do it. When we think we've arrived, that's when we're in trouble. I have a job that, that's, that in a certain sense is simple. I'm a delivery driver. But there is not a day, not a single day that I go to work that I don't ask God that they ain't. I pray and s ask the Lord that the angels of God be camped around about me. And, Lord, that everything on this truck be delivered to the right customer, nothing more, nothing less. Because I haven't arrived. Sometimes I show up and, and people ask, well, what are you getting? I'm telling you, you're getting this. And all I do is go get that box and give it to the customer. I don't know what it is because I'm praying to get better. So I'll end with this. When we think we've arrived, this is what we need to say. When it comes to self-improvement, the day that I stop to cease to try, that's the day I begin to die. When you stop trying, when I stop trying, thinking, oh, I know that already. Like, like sometimes we'll, we'll read through a, a, a book in the Bible and we'll say, I'm a, uh, that's right, tomorrow I'm going to read chapter 6 of this, of the Matthew. And we're like, I already know what that says. It talks about prayer. And it's a sermon on the mount. And then at the end he says, you know, don't worry about the sparrows, you know, because God sees a sparrow and he, his eyes is on them. Um, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And like, oh, yeah. We think we've arrived. God's like, no, you need to read my word. When we think that we have arrived, when the day that I stop, I cease to try, that's the day we begin to die. We need to always 
continue to self-evaluate and see and ask God, Lord, help me. And that's the difference between, that's part of the difference. I mean, you can talk about it for years and years, law and grace. If we have that ability to go before God, as Hebrew says, boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly before the throne of grace. I pray in the name of Jesus that you receive something from the word on today. Under the law, people, there were some select people. And not that God chose them, but some people sought after God and others didn't. They sought after pleasures. But now we are under grace. And Romans chapter 6 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Saul continued to sin because he thought he was doing a good thing. But even after he repented, God said, no, you had your chance. But under grace. We have other chances. We have another chance. Every day that we are alive, we have another chance. And even if we messed up in the morning, we can get it right before noon. And we can get it right before we go to bed. Grace. God's unmerited favor. God giving us the things that we don't deserve. And I'm not talking about the spirit of distress that came upon Saul. I'm talking about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit. But perhaps you're hearing this message and you don't understand. Maybe it's because of our walk in life does not include God. I talked to a gentleman just the other day. And I asked him, if you could ask God for anything, what would you want? And what was his answer? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I said, you know, you are so general. God is a God of specifics. What do you want for you? And after we talked for a while, he said, I want a closer walk with God. So whether you want a closer walk, but how about those of you that don't have a walk with him at all? We want to pray with you right now. Either to establish a walk or to rededicate that walk, to reestablish that walk. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you gave your only son. Lord, that all of our sins have been paid by the blood of Jesus. Lord, that the deeds that we do in this body will help, will, will bring glory to your name. That your kingdom has been established. But, Lord, without a relationship with you, all of our works mean nothing. If we can give to the poor or we can feed the needy, but we don't have a relationship with you, Lord, it means nothing at all. So I pray, Father, for those of you under the sound of my voice, and you're not sure about your relationship and your walk with God, don't, don't think about what Grandma did or or what grandpa did, or your cousin, or your uncle, or anyone else, about what they may have done that influenced you in a wrong way. Because it's going to boil down to what God is going to ask you about your decision. So, Father, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. 
Forgive me of my sins. Make me as part of your family. That I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. I love you because you first loved me. In Jesus' name, amen. So whether you just dedicated your life or you rededicated, God knows your heart. It doesn't have to be in the church. It doesn't have to be on your knees. It has to be from your heart. That's what God's looking for. And we want you, going to ask you one favor, one huge favor. If you have heard that prayer and you just accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, please reach out to us. Go on social media, um, on Facebook, and say, hey, I just accepted the Lord on Jesus Christ as my Savior. On the day after Christmas, 2021. We would love to hear for you. We want to connect with you and we want to lift you up in prayer. Whether you attend this service or maybe you're in another place and this church is too far away. The main thing is that you connect with a body of believers that's going to teach you the word of God. We love you. We thank you. God bless you. And we look forward to seeing you again in 2022.